0: Let's go ahead and have a seat. Wednesdays get away from us so fast. I uh, was having fun watching you all fellowship, and since I didn't find out until like a day ago that I was teaching tonight, I was half tempted to just let you fellowship for the next 25 minutes and see if I can get away with not teaching, but... uh So Genesis chapter 30, uh, verses, we're starting in verse 25, James finished up last week talking about some of the family trouble Jacob has had, and this goes into a kind of an interesting story, kind of a random story, um, but this still has some good, cool spiritual points here, so we're going to start in verse 25, Genesis chapter 30, and actually let's go ahead and say a prayer before we begin. Father, be with us tonight as we study your word together. Allow it to be a time that emboldens us to spread the gospel and that lifts our spirits to live a life of abundance in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 25. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go for you. "...know my servants which I have done for you." And Laban said to him, "...please stay if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake." And then he said, "...name me your wages and I will give it." So Jacob said to him, "...you know how I have served you and how your livestock had been with me. For what you have before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming, and now when shall I also provide for my own house?" So he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all of your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in a time to come, when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats, and brown among the lambs, will be considered stolen. If it is with me. And then on to verse 43, we're going to skip down, because it goes through some interesting details of things that Jacob did. But then verse 43 it says, Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous, talking about Jacob, and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Now the details of this passage honestly seem a little bit random and hard to apply to our lives. It's talking about the breeding habits of the sheep and the goats and the lambs and things that Jacob did to manipulate this to his favor. But what we're seeing here is the story of a very poor shepherd and a man who has nothing is beginning to turn into a nation. Because you remember the promise of God was on his life, starting with Abraham, who was no one. God gave him this promise that through you, the entire world will be blessed. And that was passed down to Isaac, same promise. And now to Jacob. Jacob had an experience where God came to him telling you, I'm going to bless you. You're going to expand. Your, your your descendants will be, kind of like he told Abraham, more than the stars in the sky. And Jab- Jacob is in this weird situation now in which he is here with his father-in-law who's ripping him off. He's trying to work for him. He's been there now at this point 14 years and will be there six more. And I remember reading this story as a child or in the little cartoon pamphlets that he used to have when I was a kid when they'd have pictures. And in these pictures... He was, he was not an old man. I mean, he was probably, uh, by the time in these pictures, you know, maybe he's 40, 50, or whatever. Well, all reality of this story, here he is working for this guy. He's had the promise of God in his life. He's nearly 90 years old at this point. And he's still in this position. Even though he has these promises from God, he's still living in this spiritual poverty in that he's away from his home, he's away from his family, and he's working for this man, being ripped off the entire time. His life is basically chaos, He's not having any victory. He's not having any growth. And up before this point of having this conversation, he was still poor, destitute. He had no direction. And the question I think we need to ask ourselves with all the promises he had from God, why is he in this position of servitude for nearly 20 years? I love that the Bible does not hide the flaws of its heroes. We we get this idea, you think about the way the, the world would advertise somebody, promote somebody, stories about maybe a famous movie star or a politician or whatever. When they take out advertisements pushing the virtues of these people, it rarely says, but this is where he messed up and he did this bad and he did this wrong. It points out all the positives and paints them as these perfect people. Well, the Bible is not like that. The Bible paints the flaws. And I heard a preacher say it one time, the expression warts and all. Basically all the flaws. And I actually love that because it helps those of us... Who are not perfect. You can raise your hand if you're perfect. I know my, i got a couple of that, you know, people here. My wife says that I'm perfect, but I'm not sure if she means it or not. But um, is that true, dear? Perfect? Thank you. That's what I thought. Um, I <laughs> if I was perfect, you could. But no, we, so we expect this expectation of people. And we put these people up on a pedestal, and we do that at church too. What's the expression, just to go off on a tangent here, what's the expression here about Christians? I'm not going to go to church, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Well, you know what? Yep, that's true. A bunch of sinners, a bunch of mess-ups, a bunch of evil people all in that church talking about each other and doing this and doing that. You know what? Yep, that's true. Just like the characters in the Bible. That's why we need forgiven. But I digress. Let's move on. Jacob is going to be the father of a nation, and yet he paints this man. And it tells, back in these previous chapters, he was a liar. He was a trickster. He was a deceiver. And still, all these years later, here he is in his 90s, still reaping the wages of his sin. Still taking the effect. And yet, he has these promises, these plans of God, just waiting for him, that he refuses to take hold of. He's got employment issues. It says in later chapters that his father-in-law, which is his employer, changes wages ten different times because of mistrust. He's got trust issues. His own family, these are his brother-in-law's working with him. You'll find out in the next chapter, they don't trust him. And yet, by the end of chapter 30, it says, Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous, had large flocks, females, male servants, camels, and donkeys. With all this mistrust, he's still finding a way to prosper and succeed. Why is that? I want you to flip back to Genesis chapter 28, just a couple chapters back. We're going to start in cha- or verse 12. Jacob is now alone. This is many years before. Then he dreamed and beheld a ladder was set up on the earth, and the top reached to heaven, and there were angels of God who were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, the north and the south. And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Jacob has promises. And yet he's living in poverty. So what is he waiting for? And I'll apply that situation. Let's go one step further. What are you waiting for? See, there is spiritual richness waiting for you. There is abundance. I used that expression here a few minutes ago. I use this in our concerts sometimes. I'll tell people, it's great that salvation gets us to heaven, but Jesus' life that he came here, what the example that he was, wasn't just about our eternal security. That's great. That's one of the massive best benefits in the world. But he gave it and he said, I came so that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Abundant doesn't mean riches and wealth and never get sick and that kind of stuff. It means in all that... When you're still sick and maybe poor, you can have an abundant life. And I would say that Jacob at this point is not living an abundant life, but he's growing and he's maturing. And there's other places in the Bible that says this man was becoming a man of God, the father of a nation, because he eventually became Israel, which is the father of the country we see today. So we're going to turn to three verses, start in the book of Romans, if you turn there. Romans chapter 11. One of my favorite books. Very short verse. Romans chapter eleven, verse twenty nine. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God has a calling on your life. He has gifts. He has given you. No one can say, if they're a born-again believer, they do not have gifts. They can refuse to use them. But you have gifts. You have a spiritual blessing and you have a calling. And that calling does not change. Even if you're off the path, as Jacob was, Jacob was in the wilderness, per se, ignoring what was back home waiting for him in the land God had promised... But he still had a gift. And no matter how much he would mess up, those gifts were still there. Okay? Flip back to Jeremiah, to a very familiar verse in chapter 29. And you actually, I'll go ahead and read this one even before you get there, because you know this one. 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. He has your future planned. And Ephesians, you don't need to turn to this one, we're short on time. This has become one of my new favorite verses, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. You cannot sit here tonight and imagine all that God has planned for you. You couldn't dream big enough to know the things that he may do with you. And they're not always big by our standards. I've got some family members that every new thing they do has to be big. Oh, well, we're going to start this ministry and it's going to be huge. Well, sometimes ministry is touching one life. But that one life can make a major impact on the world and you don't know. Sometimes ministry is raising your kids and preparing them for the things that they will do. Ministry can be one or it can be to a million. And you can't even imagine what God can do with you. And Jacob's view was so small at this point. He's looking at raising sheep and gathering wealth. He had no idea that through his lineage would come the Son of God who would save the world. God had a plan for him that he was supposed to be getting back to. And at this point, he's still just working. There's a preacher on the radio. I heard this story just last night. He was talking about when he first had kids. Their first daughter was born. They went to the lawyer and they had a will drawn up. Okay? Okay. And they had just made this decision that whatever was left of their estate when they would pass away would go to their kids. And they had a you know, number of children over the years and they kept adjusting the will so it would go to their kids. He's like, now, in our home over the years, he's like, my children went through many, you know, he described, he compared himself to God a little bit, blessings and curse, blessings and cursings upon his kids that if they would obey these certain things, then they would get their allowance. If they would disobey these certain things, they'd lose the allowance and have other punishments and that kind of thing. He said, but throughout that entire time, While they may have lost their immediate blessing in the house, we never took them out of the will. The promises of the father towards his children never changed even when they were disobedient. God has promises for you. And maybe you have been disobedient. Maybe you're not living the life you ought. But that doesn't mean his promises are void. The calling is still there. He's just waiting for you to come back. He hasn't moved. You maybe have moved, but he hasn't. And he's just waiting for you to come back. The same way he was waiting for Jacob to come back. And even though we're forgiven, our actions have consequence. And they're stealing blessing from you. If we're choosing disobedience, if we're choosing sin... Sin is not who we are anymore once we're born again, but it's still there. I heard a preacher just recently call it. He said, uh, "He said sin is, not res- or sin is resident, but it's not president. Okay, It's there, and you can pick it up every once in a while, but it no longer runs your life. But you can choose to live in it, and you're just losing the blessing. But you know what? The salvation didn't go. The promises didn't go just because you walked away. God's plans don't change because of our flaws. Because you know what? He made the promises already knowing you had flaws. He made the promises already knowing what sins you were going to commit 10 years from now. But the promises are still true. The victory and the abundance is still true if you'll live in it. So i ask you a question. I want you to answer it to yourself very honestly. Are you living an abundant life? Because it's available. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. He didn't stutter. He said it. Abundant life. And if you're missing out, then we need to take steps to get back into that abundant life and figure out how can we live in that promise. I'm reading a biography right now of a man named Hudson Taylor. He is a um, he was a a, missionary to China back in the 1800s. And he was a very interesting man. Um, and I don't have time to go into all the details of his life. But he was there at great cost to himself. I, thre- I told Heidi I'm threatening to, to put down the book because I'm only about three-fourths of the way through and he's already lost three of his children and now he's just lost his wife. It's been one thing after the other of constant struggle and heartache but his legacy and his impact on the country of China was so enormous that it's just amazing what he did. Well, the book is called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. And the secret that he discovered partway through had to do with our freedom in Jesus Christ our abundance in Jesus Christ, our joy, okay? Because he lived in constant worry of how he was never good enough and never holy enough. And if any of them, we would be honest, we would raise our hands and we'd say, we understand the scripture when Paul says, um, oh, wretched man that I am. We constantly feel like we're struggling with failure and holiness, and it keeps us from serving the Lord because, oh, I've sinned, I'm so awful, I can't do it. And we live in that misery of now, now I'm good and now I'm bad, and we're riding that roller coaster, okay? But I have a word I want to mention to you. Sufficiency. God told Paul, my grace is sufficient. The sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient. It's enough. You can't have done anything bad bad enough that that's not enough. He said he will never leave you or forsake you. And he said it while you were not perfect. And there's this verse, I believe it's in... John or 1 John, I don't remember, where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And my picture of this verse, and Hudson Taylor admitted his picture of this verse was this massive and beautiful vine, and I'm this tiny little weak branch trying to get sap off of the vine, just trying to live, just trying to get by. That's not an abundant life. That's not realizing who the vine is. I'm just going to try to get a little bit off and try to survive. I'm just going to try to make it through the day. Do you know who you are in Christ? The victory you can have? And this was a quote. I took it out of the book that I'm reading. Hudson Taylor wrote this to his sister. As I thought of the vine and the branches, what light the blessed spirit poured direct into my soul. How great seemed my mistake in having wished to get the sap or the fullness out of him, being the vine. I saw not only that Jesus would never leave me, but that I was a member of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. The vine, now I see, is not the root merely... But all, root, stem, branches, twigs, leaves, flower, fruit. And Jesus is not only that. He is soil and sunshine and air and showers and 10,000 times more than we have ever dreamed, wished for, or needed. Oh, joy of seeing the truth. We're not poor, abused little children of the Father who he barely remembers that he's taking care of us. He's everything. He's everything around us. And we should make him everything around us, living in that victory. The thing that Hudson Taylor finally realized, oh, I failed. Yep, Jesus has paid for it. Instead of letting that sin, not that we should accept it because we do need to work on our failures, but instead of letting that sin completely take us out of effectiveness, we recognize that, yes, I sinned, that's why I'm saved, and we move on. We live in joy. We live in a little bit of abundance because we realize that's what freedom in Christ is. We know we're sinners. So don't let that eat you alive so badly that it completely takes you out of being effective. Jacob lost 90 years before he went back and, had his fa- and went back with his family to the country that God promised him. Instead of living in that life of abundance, he lived in slavery. He worked for a man who basically abused him at every turn he got. And how many of you right now are living in a life where you're letting this world or Satan abuse you and tell you that you're less than what you are when you're a child of the king? Recognize that. We should never stop caring about sin. But sin is eliminated as a controlling factor in our lives if we recognize its place. There's time that's going to crop up, time is going to get you, time is going to get control. But if you'll realize it's paid for, that's not to say we should just sin without license of, well, it's paid for because I tell you, you'll be miserable. That's Jacob right now in this story. He's let it control him and he's moved off from God's plan and he's miserable. Still saved, still paid for, still going to heaven. But this abundant life that he could have, he's given up so he can enjoy the temporary uh, feelings of sin. So don't sin without license just because you have grace, because you'll be miserable. Get back to where he intends. But understand that sin is nothing more than something we can brush off. It can hurt you, but it's paid for. It's taken care of. Deal with it, but don't live in it. And there's this song that most of you know, a worship song, He is my all in all. Sufficiency. He's everything. He's not Sunday, and for those of you who are great enough to come out on Wednesdays, he's not Wednesday. He's twenty-four hours of day, my God. He doesn't start being God on Sunday morning at, at uh, ten o'clock, ten thirty. What time does service start? Ten? <laughs> I should know that. Um, we're never on time, so I'm not sure. Um, he doesn't start at ten and stop being God at eleven thirty because you put in your time. If you'll plug into that, there's an abundancy and a sufficiency in life that'll give you victory. Well, you don't know my life, and it's hard and hard. Yeah, well, I'm sure it is. It is hard for a lot of folks. I'm watching my brother's wife. Most of you know the story about we buried her a couple weekends ago. I've told you many of you that. And right now, life is hard for him. No, no getting around it. But God doesn't stop being good because, the, because we can't see the blessings. Aren't we so guilty of that? Something great happens. Oh, God's good. Yeah, he is. Was he not good yesterday when you're having trouble? He never stops, and there will be hard times. Not saying that, but if we can live in the freedom of knowing who he is and knowing our kids, whose kids we are, we can have an abundant life. So let's go ahead and wrap up. Think about that this week. Um, Next week, James will get up. He'll be back and pick up in chapter. 31 and probably actually talk about Genesis. I used it as a launching point and never got back. So let's go ahead and pray. And Father, thank you for an evening, a fellowship, um, a time, Lord, where we can study the word. Allow us, Lord, to live lives of abundance, to find joy and not live in misery. To find happiness in you, knowing that you've got this under control. That no matter our circumstances, you promised, you said it. And we can go to you and say, Jesus, you said this. You said we can have an abundant life. You said you'd never leave me. Help us to live in that victory, Lord. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Have a good week.